0: Privilege and responsibility from Amos chapter 3 verses 1 to 8. When we are born, it's to be expected that we don't know too much about this thing called responsibility. We are totally, fully dependent on our parents doing things for us, everything, what a privileged position to be in. Right? Somebody cleans you. Somebody feeds you. Somebody sings for you. It's, it's, it's amazing when you think about it. <laughs> you don't remember much of it. But as we get older, there's this, this responsibility thing starts creeping up on you the expectations, some greater than others, that come with it. And so we're given, we are thrown, whether we want to or not, we are given more and more responsibility. This is the way that human life is set up and the way that God has intended things to be. This hit me between the eyes soon after I got married, not that I wasn't expecting it to happen, but the reality Hits you in another dimension the moment you get married. As a son, you have quite a lot of privilege and respons- not so many responsibilities at home. After, you, after you're married, you discover that you have more responsibilities than privileges. And I suppose that will be the case with most of us. As we're growing up, we Couldn't wait just to be that little bit older, so our parents would let us make our own decisions. But we didn't worry too much about the consequences, we just wanted to make decisions. But of course, this is part of the characteristics of youth is that we we felt that we were more ready to be given more and more responsibilities as long as somebody else would take the blame. But you see, in a family, is that the family is like an umbrella where the people come under it, come under, huddle together, are encouraged, are unconditionally loved. Especially helpful when you're in trouble. We need a place that we can come and find shelter and protection from the outside world that can be harsh and unforgiving at times. The first job was to step outside that umbrella and if that job worked out or not, it doesn't matter. You can complain about the boss, about the conditions and all of this stuff. You can just come home, you can quit your job and it doesn't matter because at home you'd be accepted. There's no problems, there's no bills. It's just hunky-dory, you know. But after you have your own loans and bills and responsibility and everything else that happens, you can't just you know, just take your lever top of things. You have to stick at it because you can't blame anybody else for the mistakes. You have to own up to it. You just couldn't pass the buck. A large part of responsibility is becoming accountable for your actions. And something that that I didn't enjoy then, I don't enjoy it now. And I'm pretty sure you're the same. The people of Israel are here described very tenderly as a family this family of 12 tribes that came out of Egypt was to become God's special people. A tremendous privilege which started back in the ancient city of Ur when God called Abraham. Out of all the other people he could have called, he called Abraham. Abraham was indeed privileged to be elected, privileged to be used to carry out God's redemptive will for mankind, through his descendants. We looked at that in our series in Genesis. But remember that even though it was a privilege, it also carried enormous responsibility. So, this is what God said to his people from Amos chapter 3 verse 2. You only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. Think about that. Then we read in verse 3, do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? One of those passages, one of these phrases that tends to be used in weddings, marriage ceremonies and like marriage according to the Bible, which is a marriage which is an exclusive relationship between a man and a woman forsaking all others, that's what it is. It is a commitment, a covenant to walk together in a loving relationship for life. Till death do us part. Yes, there are plenty of other fish in the sea, But once the choice is made that I want to spend the rest of my life with you, you are bound with that decision. You cannot go back. In his power God could have chosen anybody he pleased. But no, he bound himself to Israel. He chose Israel the descendants of abraham and his people this is this just this mind blowing thought that the whole the, the creator of the whole universe would concentrate his his efforts his love like like laser like concentration of light he he concentrated all of that on this one family out of all the others on the earth Were there more suitable families out there? I think they would have been. Yeah. Quite possibly yes. Were there more worthy families out there? Again, I would say quite possibly yes. In the end, it doesn't really matter because God chose this one. His prerogative. That's God. Choose anyone he wants. From that moment on, God was to be their guide, their shelter, their provider, their protector, their redeemer, their saviour, their umbrella. And you can see this in in many of his his actions. He provided for their food and water through their journey in the desert. He protected their skin during the day and at night he provided light for travelling so they wouldn't trip over or get lost. He protected them against all foreign nations who were keen on destroying them. He was their king and warrior and as long as that was the case they had nothing, nothing to fear. But as you know the story, it appears that that wasn't enough for Israel. After all, what is the excitement of going into battle if you cannot get the credit for the victory? If you can't just, after each battle, get at another star and another star and another star to, to the generals and the captains and everything else What is the excitement in battle if God with merely 300 men can defeat thousands? He doesn't need 20,000, he only needs 300. So they wanted to live more dangerously and as Israel grew they also wanted more responsibility. They wanted to take things into their own hands, not content with having God as their king. They wanted their own king like the other nations. 1 Samuel tells us, 1 Samuel chapter 8 verses 6 to 7, and when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, the Lord answered him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected but they have rejected me as their king. You can see the tenderness as the creator of the whole universe, Saviour, the Redeemer, the provider, is experiencing rejection. I'm sure we all know what rejection feels like, don't you? God does. And as time went on, things had become progressively worse. Israel was not equal to her task. Israel who had the responsibility that, was, that they wanted and God gave it to them of, of being a light to the nation had become a light to itself. They had become exclusivist and and proud of the position as God's chosen. They loved the privilege, hung on to the privilege, but forgot all about the responsibility. They looked upon election as merely a a form of 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 favouritism, of a calling, and forget about all the special responsibilities that God had given them. And because of this, punishment was inevitable. So in verse 2, it said, therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. Amos was born near Jerusalem in the south in a place called Tekoa. Tekoah was close to Bethlehem. And when you get to those places, you say, well, it has to be pretty far away, distances, whatever. But you have Jerusalem and Bethlehem, and then you've got Tekoah, which is just close by. It's a bit like from the you know, Circular Key to, I don't know, Ashfield, that type of thing. It's not that far. And before he became a prophet, Amos was a shepherd. And a fig farmer. This is why he would later say, "I'm the famous words. I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. I can't say the same. I can't say I'm not a pastor nor the son of a pastor because I'd be lying both times. You know, I'm actually the grandson of a pastor and the son of a pastor. But Amos was not from the school of prophets. That's what he's saying. He didn't come from a line of prophets." God just plucked him out. God called him to be a prophet, not to Judah where he was part of the southern kingdom, but to move from Judah and to prophesy to the northern kingdom because by this time they were already divided between two kingdoms, two capitals. And the northern tribes of Israel were the first one to squander their privilege and blessings that God had given them, following other gods, and they were the first ones to experience being deported, being exiled and destroyed. Now in the following verses we see that the prophet is bringing his message home. He has a a, a series of cause and effects in verses 3 to 6. And this is what he says. He says, do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? Does a lion roar in the thicket when he has no prey? Does it growl in its den when it has caught nothing? Does a bird swoop to a trap on the ground when no bait is there? Does a trap spring up from the ground when he has not caught anything? And when a trumpet sounds in the city, do not the people tremble? When disaster comes to a city, has not the Lord caused it? Prophets... uh, and teachers and pastors like to use examples from everyday life, things that we can relate to. And the, the best one at this is of course the master teacher, Jesus himself, who would quite often use parables and illustrations from everyday life that people could relate to. He was a wonder at that. And sometimes, like Hosea and Ezekiel and others, their life, the life of the prophet themselves, became a living illustration that God used to reinforce his message. For for Ezekiel he had to sleep on one side and all that. You need to read the book for Hosea. The own unfaithfulness of his wife and the divorced and reclaimed and all of that that was he had to live it all his own life here we go back to Amos here the, the majority of illustrations that Amos uses are taken from his life in the bush as a shepherd and a farmer that's why he speaks of lions of birds snares because birds love the figs don't they? One of the things you hate if you've got a fig tree is that jolly birds come and all these beautiful figs that you're about to eat and oh they got there first so you've got to put nets or in those days nets a bit expensive I suppose so they would try and put snares. Of course the lions would be after your sheep and all of that and he uses these illustrations to drive his point home. Some of you who are a bit long in the tooth like me, getting a bit longer in the tooth like me, is, would remember an ad that aired on television a, a few years ago. It was a lottery ad and I'm not promoting lottery and gambling and all that but the, 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 the jingle, there was a jingle in the lottery promotion that used to say it went like this, you probably remember it, it, it went like this, is it, does it rain in Melbourne. The answer is, yeah. Does it rain in Melbourne? Does an Aussie like a pie? Does a girl dance backwards? Is the Nullarbor plain? Does a kookaburra make a laugh? And, and do you remember the ad? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and just as certain as all these things are, They told us at the end, you can win the big one now. However, when they include the word can, it becomes a possibility rather than a certainty, doesn't it? A very distinct and, you know, long-drawn possibility. Not a certainty. Well, here the prophet Amos is saying to them, just as certain as all these things are that I have mentioned, Israel is not going to win big. They're in fact going to get punished. Punished big time. And for those who do not believe his message as being authentic and authentic and and a true revelation from God, he says in verse 7, Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. God loves to give people warnings. It doesn't have to, but he gives people warnings. If you don't do this, this is what's going to happen. Okay, I'll remind you again. If you don't do this, this is what's going to happen. Again, and again, and again. And sometimes the people respond. Like what happened in Nineveh, for example. They repent and all this. God gives warnings. the lion has roared who will not fear the sovereign lord has spoken who can but prophesy in other words just like all the natural events are linked by a, a, a chain of cause and effect so are my words to you which god has given me a gracious god gives us warning after warning he gives us opportunity after opportunity to turn away from sin And just as God has spoken, the only natural thing for me to do is to tell you what he told me. I have to tell you. You might not like it. You probably don't like it. You don't enjoy it. I cannot hold back. No, and there is no way that I can sweeten or lessen the impact of what I'm telling you. I'm just telling you like it is. The classic words of the prophet Jeremiah are appropriate here. Jeremiah chapter 20 verse 9, His word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. The Apostle Paul said this, 1 Corinthians 9, 6, Woe to me if I do not preach the Gospel. These men were chosen by God and they had a message from God and they had the responsibility to deliver God's Word in difficult and trying circumstances, irrespective of how it was going to be received, irrespective of his own personal fears and feelings and all of that they couldn't let anything hinder this responsibility a few weeks ago in our trip it was only a couple of weeks ago now we were camping in the middle of the Serengeti in Tanzania no protection from the wild okay no fences, no guns, nothing. In fact, uh, Priscilla walked to the to the toilet, and there was a hyena outside the tent. So anyway, Hakuna uh, 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 The next morning, the guide asked us. He said, "Did you hear the lion roar at 4 a.m. this morning?" And I said, no. It wasn't far away, he said. Well, thank you for that. Thanks for not waking us up and making us panic. We slept right through it. A tent that we were staying in is no protection for lions. No protection at all. No protection against elephants, really. Uh, you see, what, what the locals do is they don't tell you all the stories of what happened, but sometimes you get to find out little bits and pieces that filter through because they don't want people to stop going to Africa because they are scared of all the you know, wildlife. Apparently, some other people, um, we were camping in, in, in Chobi, which is in uh, Botswana. Again, same situation, in the middle of the forest, and there was this elephant that was just crashing all these trees down, this bull elephant. And you get worried when the locals start getting worried. And then we heard a story that the elephants, they can actually pick up a whole tent with people in it and with their trunk and then just drop it down. That's exactly what happened to a group that was before us. Thank you for that story. <laughs> <laughs> Back to lions. Like the lions, whose lion is at the top of the chain, when the lion roars, everybody takes notice in the jungle. You can hear it; it's a deep sound, scary. When the lion of Judah roars, who will not fear? Who will not fear? There, there are many passages in scripture where, the, where this connection is made between privilege and responsibility. Jesus of course told the parable of the, the talents where, in which certain privileged servants are entrusted with responsibilities but not all of them react the same way or, or take their responsibility in the same way. The responsible ones did something with what was given them, took a risk made the money work and honour the, the master's faith in them and gave account. The irresponsible one took no risk, played it safe, kept it hidden and then said, "Well, here's the one, that, that, what you gave me and here it is, thank you very much. No, that's not the way it works. You were supposed to make it work. Get out there, take a risk. Make this faith real. If you respect me, if you honour me, use what I've given you for my glory. So what must we do? We can go on about this, but I'm just going to leave you two points. Value who you are. Our salvation is such a, a tremendous privilege of the highest degree. We are sons and daughters of the living God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, redeemed by his son, Jesus Christ, chosen by him before the creation of the world and is the concept we we cannot simply understand or comprehend. All we can do is say thank you and we are here. That's an amazing privilege. When the story is told that when Queen Victoria was a child. She didn't in fact realise or know that she was in line for the throne of England. Her instructors, her minders and instructors tried to prepare prepare her for the future and they were getting frustrated because they couldn't motivate little young Queen Victoria and prepare her. She just wasn't motivated. She she just didn't take her studies seriously and finally her teachers decided to tell her that one day she will be Queen of England. And when she heard this, Victoria quietly said, then I will be good. The realisation suddenly hit her, the realisation that she had inherited this high calling gave her a sense of responsibility that profoundly affected her conduct from that moment on. Do you realise who you are in Christ and what that means? The second thing I want to leave with you is take hold of your calling Do something with it. Because one day you will give account. One day you will, you and I will have to give account. We are, like I said, servants no less than the Creator of the universe. And God, in His mercy, has given us such a great salvation. But one day we will have to give account before His throne as Hebrews says, Hebrews 2, 1-3. We must pay most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. Drift away. For since the message spoken through the angels was blinding, and every violation and disobedience receives its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great salvation. With those words, eh? Such a great salvation. Such a great privilege. But also, what a huge responsibility. Jesus spoke about the light that was so precious, so important, that it simply could not be hidden. It has to be lifted up put high so everyone can see it. We have this, as God's chosen, we have this tremendous privilege to be chosen by God but we cannot simply boast about it and and retreat to a a safe and and privileged state with, with no risk, with no cost, with no sacrifice. No, this privilege entails responsibility. There is a cost. The responsibility of not only just living the righteous life but also proclaiming his word to a world that needs to hear but it's quite obvious they don't want to hear. It doesn't matter. We have to keep proclaiming it. And I hope and pray that we live up to our calling as he gives us strength, that we will do so. Because it's so precious, so important, so priceless. It's not for us alone, but it is a message for the world. May God bless us. Amen.